This episode of Working Lunch is fueled by Raising Cane's. Frankly, we love our friends at Raising Cane's. Great, great operation. Uh, They're coming to Orlando, it it appears, and we're going to have a Raising Cane right down the street. Coming soon. One of three locations is set to open on November 7th. Get ready. We also have a Rise Biscuits opening around the same time in Orlando as well. So it's getting ready to get get delicious here in the next month in Orlando. The Caniac Combo. I cannot wait for my first Caniac Combo at Raising Cane's when they get here. It's going to be fantastic. What's your Raising Cane's go-to? Oh, I, I keep it simple with the uh, with the chicken finger basket. I can't remember what the uh, the exact name is, but yeah, I, I just I keep it keep it simple. Well, there, here we have the Carson Chandler uh, box lunch, the fifty finger tailgate feeds thirteen to seventeen people, or one Carson Chandler. So um, you know Carson will be excited. I know he's a like you, you know, loyal, loyal, loyal Chick Fil A guy. But uh, it's okay every once in a while to veer off veer off to a, another outlet and uh, try some Raising Cane's. They get some good food, man. Indeed they do. And on that note, let's do the show. May I help you? We need to talk about your flair. I think I'm going to have to go superside. I'm proud to be a bartender. Ain't nothing wrong with that. We need a political revolution. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Come on, man. With all due respect, that's a bunch of malarkey. From the home office of Align Public Strategies in downtown Orlando, Florida, this is Working Lunch. Coming up on the podcast, we're joined by Townsend Brown, policy analyst at Multistate, to talk about California's new law mandating that large companies annually disclose data regarding their global carbon footprints. How will companies even begin to comply? And is there potential legal action ahead? We'll discuss. And the industry had another big showing in Maryland this week, literally flooding the Montgomery County Council chambers with angry servers wanting to protect their incomes. Could we have beaten back yet another tip credit elimination bill? We'll take a look. We'll discuss those issues and wrap it up with a legislative scorecard. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Joe Kefauver, along with my Align Public Strategies partner, Franklin Coley. And Mr. Coley, we had a big week in Montgomery County, Maryland, a hearing on that bill we've been talking about to eliminate the server wage. Not only was it a legislative hearing where the bill itself was referred to a couple of committees, a, uh, a fracas broke out. There was a melee in the room. There was a there was a rumble in the jungle. What happened in Montgomery County, Maryland this week? Well, we we can't advocate for physical violence, Joe. Never will we do that. I know in 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 this era at at a Donald Trump rally or whatnot, you know, physical violence can may may be encouraged from time to time, but. I do love the fact that the Save Our Tip supporters came so enthused and and so ready to go that we it, it resulted in essentially a face off. You know what I heard from the ground was that the other side instigated a physical confrontation, but literally there was a fight broke out between the Save Our Tips side, the industry side. And then the one fair wage activist in front of the it, it, right in front of the Montgomery County um, hearing uh, on the tipped wage. That's how passionate it was. That made its way into the press coverage. We talked last week about PG County and what we like seeing out of the press coverage. 
Fights break out at at Tipped Workers Rally in Montgomery County. Fists fly over tipped wage bill in Montgomery County. But here's what's more important. The the coverage was balanced. It, It says, you know, Montgomery County lawmakers hear two sides in the fight over the tipped wage. Um, demonstrators rally over tipped wages from both sides. Restaurant workers split on tipped minimum wage bill in Montgomery County. And so this was super balanced coverage. If you look at, there's photos of the actual hearing itself, and the Save Our Tips green shirts are on one side and are equal or more, it actually looks like more, than the one fair wage, which are like, uh, it's kind of like fuchsia, I guess. It's like a a purplish pink like color shirt. Um, The industry showed up in force, literally in force. You know, literally there was a a, a fight broke out and people got up and testified. People were emotional and people said, don't take away our wages. And Montgomery County decided that, you know, they're going to punt this issue until Jay, what's the date? January 13th or 18th, somewhere in that yeah, range. Yeah, it's January Yeah. That that does not show momentum for the other side. That is not picking up the bill and hearing it was in the next two weeks or, you know, that that is kicking the can down the road. Now, we'll see. That does not mean this thing is won by any means. But I, I think we won round one in Montgomery County. The industry did. The industry came out strong. They debunked a bunch of misinformation. They had a super strong showing. The coverage was balanced. And here's the last thing I'll say. The, the, the discussion on the ground was that the, the, the other side, the one fair wage activists, were the ones that were instigating all this stuff and that many of them were for out of town and were not actually, you know, workers from the industry. And so, you know, I don't know how much of that made it into the press coverage, but that was a discussion in the buzz around the county commission building and with staff and with elected officials is the other side did not look like they were local. They looked like they were the antagonist in this physical melee. And um, I, I think they did not show well as a result. And I think our side showed well they were they were there in force they were all local employees and operators and they they did what they needed to do in terms of debunking some of the misinformation and clarifying what the exact impact of this will be if uh, montgomery county approves it i just um you know franklin did you ever think three weeks ago when we were talking about prince george's county and montgomery county maryland that we'd be sitting where we're sitting right now with a, a bill tabled in PG and then a melee in Montgomery. I mean, I just never would have conceived it after, you know, the debacle in Chicago that is where we'd be sitting in, in vis-a-vis Maryland. It's unreal. It really is. And it was disheartening coming out of Chicago, not because we lost, but because of the way we lost. And then to come in to Maryland and, and, and do it the right way. And I'm going to be honest, I had this conversation with someone last night. Like if someone in the industry side had said, you know what? We're going to go in and meet with legislators. We're not going to do a rally, though, because we're worried we're not going to get enough people there, the optics and blah, blah, blah. I probably would have said, yeah, OK, yeah, it doesn't make sense to do a rally. But but the folks in Maryland, the Maryland restaurants, they, they put it all on the line. They said, we're doing a rally and we're going to get it done. We're going to make sure that that we get our people out and show up and Man, sure enough, they did. They did it in both jurisdictions, and you see the you see the result of that. So, 
look, I don't know what the ultimate outcome is going to be in Montgomery County. It's a tough environment. We kind of had our backs up against the wall, but I think we caught the other side off guard. I think they thought they were going to get away with, you know, this rhetoric they spew that goes unchecked. I think they thought they were going to get away with a lot. Of, they just didn't. They didn't. The industry stood up and checked them on all that. And I think a lot of the 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 county commissioners are now looking for like an off ramp, a way to get get away from this issue and um, you know move along. I, I don't I don't think there's a real appetite after what happened this week to dive into this. And I think a lot of them are probably like, oh man, do we have to really even talk about this again in January? But um, you know, we'll see. This is not one in Montgomery County. We're going to have to do it again in the new year. We're going to have to continue to uh, push back. But I think, you know, this battle in, in the larger kind of what's called war in Montgomery County, I think goes to the industry. Yeah, I, I I guess I'm struck by a couple of things. You know, legislators, county council members, whatever you want to refer to them, you know, they've got to be uh, at least slightly annoyed uh, with Saru and her crew uh, for not managing expectations very well. They were let down this primrose path that is going to be an easy slam dunk, and this is what people want, this is what the workers wanted. And they got a, they got a false bill of goods, and the people in Prince George's County, people in Montgomery County, have now heard from real local restaurant servers to say this is a terrible idea. I suspect there's some folks that are pretty annoyed with Saru and her crew uh, for for leading him down this this road. Uh, secondly, I'm struck by the fact that Saru did not show up uh, to this particular hearing. Uh, she zoomed in and protected herself created a, a situation where if it didn't go her way, she could save face, unlike what happened last week in Prince George's County. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's, it did not go well. It did not go well for the, for the other side. And it went, uh, you know, the only, the only thing that could have gone better is if written into the press was if the other side was all out of towners, you know, that's the only thing that, and, and that is, you know, Going into this, I never would have expected that essentially every um, headline was balanced or in our favor, which is the case, which is absolutely the case. That's a crushing, resounding victory. The only thing that could have gone better, though, was if that piece had, had worked its way in and or some of the background in One Fair Wage and who they are and how they operate and all that kind of stuff. You know, they continue to kind of get a free pass and, you know, their spotty record in this space, um, which traces back to the Restaurant Opportunity Center and their kind of spotty record, putting forward these ideals that they couldn't live up to in their own restaurant, for instance. But, um, you know, that's, they will be back. They will regroup, no doubt. They they will be, they will come back to the January meeting and and loaded to bear because they know that they got thumped in, in this go around. So, we can't we can't rest in our laurels now. We're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to dig in and get ready for the new year and, and continue to battle this out. Yeah, but we got momentum. We got three months until those those hearings in January, and now legislators are on their heels. And so I'm sure Marshall Weston and Melvin Thompson at the Restaurant Association of Maryland will have boots on the ground in those offices. Now that now that the, the, the verbal fight has been enjoined, 
they got to swoop in and keep the pressure on these legislators. Super, super important. And I can guess, Mr. Coley, that our friends over in Prince George's County saw this and said, <laughs> we did the right thing by tabling this and let's kick that can even further down the road than we kicked it last week uh, as these jurisdictions watch each other. So uh, we said last week, congratulations to Marshall Weston and, and the Restaurant Association Maryland. We say it again this week. Well done. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully Marshall will make it out to the Council of State Restaurant Associations meeting in Scottsdale in about a month from now. Uh, maybe a little less than a month from now and um, kind of give his his 49 compatriots uh, the 411 on how he pulled this off and where he is in that battle. So uh, kudos to you, Marshall. Kudos to Restaurant Association Maryland. And uh, we'll keep on top of this story going forward. Well, listeners know we talked at length on this podcast over the past few weeks about the climate legislation that Governor Gavin Newsom recently uh, signed into law. About two or three weeks ago, he signed into law very similar to the greenhouse uh, emissions, carbon neutrality type of uh, regulation the SEC is currently working on. But this is the California version that in some ways may even be more stringent than the SEC's uh, pending regulation. And so to help us sort it out, Townsend Brown, multi-state policy analyst, Resident smart guy on the issue, uh, Towns, and I appreciate you joining us. Thanks, Joe. Happy to be here. So, so let's talk a little bit about the California that's now law. Before we kind of get into the meat of it, what, what was driving it? Was 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 you know had, had the legislature been making a couple of runs at this type of legislation before with the environmental groups just saying, "Hey, if we can't get it done in California, we can't get it done anywhere," and they've been they've been they've been barking up this hill for for a while. What, what's what's the backdrop? Yep, that's that's pretty much right. So the bill's been been introduced a few times in California. Um, in the pre the previous year, um, it actually failed by a single vote on the final day of session, um, which was a bit surprising to those of us who were following along with it. So we knew it was going to come back around this year. And you're right, it is. You know, California likes to be the first state on a lot of issues, and and environmental, you know, climate disclosure type issues are no exception to that. So yeah, and you know, we mentioned it when you kind of kicked off the call here that it, it is similar in a lot of ways to the proposal that the SEC has. And we can talk about a little bit more about this down the line, but um, the SEC proposal actually is really not quite as stringent as the California one. So there's two kind of big separators and those two are the California law applies to both public and privately held companies, whereas the SEC rule would only apply to publicly traded companies. Right. So, you know, you're getting a lot more, um, you know, reporting entities kind of involved there. And then the second major difference is that the California law requires the reporting of scope three emissions, which um, for anyone who's familiar with this, with this issue, you'll know are extremely difficult um, for, for to really track. So, yeah. Big, big difference. The California law is much harder hitting. Um, and the SEC proposal, Chair Gensler there has said, kind of hinted that he doesn't think the SEC rule will require the reporting of scope three emissions, um, just because I don't think they have the legal standing for that to, to hold up in courts, um, whereas the states have a little bit of uh, a better footing um, in that area. So, All right. So let's start with the California law. It's, it's on the books. When does it take effect? Uh, it takes effect. Uh, the first reporting requirements are going to be in 2026. 
um, and those will be scope one and two um, emissions. And so what does that mean? So what does scope one and two mean? So the scope one and two emissions um, are basically the emissions that your company can control. So they're under your direct control. So the, the gas that you put into your fleet of trucks, the electricity that keeps the lights on, those are all scope one and two emissions. They're a little easier to keep track of. And what about like restaurant grills, you know, Burger King's Flame Road Whopper? Are they going to have to track all those emissions going up, up that smokestack? Yes, they are. They are. Yep. All the gas that they use, all the propane that they use to, on the, in their cooking um, are is definitely going to be part of that reporting requirements. I can't even imagine the amount of data that companies are going to have to report. And the new entire agency of thousands of bureaucrats in Sacramento that can be have to hire to process to go through this. It's just, it's crazy. So let's, 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 let's talk about, you know, this is going to cover big guys and small guys, right? I mean, what, what is the threshold? Is, is it just a billion, it's a billion dollars, right? The threshold is a billion dollars, right? So you've got kind of, even within that threshold, you've got a wide range because some companies might be worth $200 billion. Some company might be a, you know, 1 billion. So it's going to, the threshold is a billion. Um, Okay, so before we get into what's in it, I'm still talking about the who. So obviously, you know, a, a big company like Darden or Bloomin or Brinker that owns you know, obviously huge systems, they're going to be covered. But what about a franchisee, Towns? And so you're you're a McDonald's franchisee. You have four units. You know, you're not doing a billion dollars in sales at at at, at Towns and Brown, you know, LLC, but McDonald's is. Like, how are they going to handle that? You know. That's a great question. I think it's just it's it's going to be McDonald's. I'm not sure the franchisees are really going to matter. The company of McDonald's from their their corporate headquarters are going to have to provide you know all of their emissions from all of their stores up and down their entire supply chain. I mean, that's what the that's what the law says. I mean, it's it's a new we've never really seen anything like this. And so, yeah, I mean, you're right. It is going to be really, really burdensome um, and really, honestly, just difficult. For a lot of companies, you know, you're talking about McDonald's. How difficult is that to keep track of all of the emissions that are that they, you know, produce? So, I I, I don't I don't even understand how I, how you'd go about doing this. So so talk to me a little bit about supply chain. So if you're if you're blooming brands, you know, and you're you're buying, you know, beef from all over the place. You're buying chicken from all over the place. You know, other yep. maybe maybe eggs. You know lettuce, tomato, whatever it might be, um, are, are you going to have to kind of take custody of, of your supplier's footprints as well? Are they going to have to, is, is, is Bloomin going to have to get that data from their suppliers and wrap it into their own report about what's going on on their property? I mean, how's that all work? That's what that is. Yes, that is scope three emissions. And that's why it is such a big deal that this law requires the reporting of scope three emissions, because it is, as you just alluded to, I mean, that's a perfect example of how difficult and think about how many vendors a a billion dollar company has. So, right, it's, it's really a reporting requirement on huge companies, but down up and down the supply chain, there's going to be smaller and medium sized companies that fill into that supply chain. And they are also going to have to be accountable for what their emissions are as part of the larger, um, you know, picture. So how will they do that? I'm sure, you know, Bloomin', Bloomin Brands, I'm, I'm just picking on Bloomin' Brands. I love, I love Bloomin' Brands. <laughs> but they, they make food, right? 
they they train people, they make food, they serve their hospitality. Like they don't have a team of people sitting in Tampa with their feet up on their desks that are waiting to calculate all this emissions. Like how do how do they comply? Are they gonna I assume either hire up internally a bunch of people to take care of this or spend some ungodly amount of money on a third party, you know, vendor firm to do this kind of stuff? I mean, how do they, how how do they even begin to comply? So that's really the, the the great question, and I'll, I will say that when Governor Newsom when Gavin Newsom signed this little this ball, uh, bill earlier in the year, um, sorry, earlier this month, he did he did point to the fact that he thought that the timeline was infeasible, essentially infeasible. So I think there is a chance that the legis- the California legislature comes back next year and extends the timeline out a little bit. Um, you know, who knows with the legislature. And there's also going to be a pretty comprehensive comment period that the Cal Air Resources Board, CARB, um, that's the state agency who's tasked with implementing this rule, they're going to have a pretty robust comment period. And I'm assuming that, you know, business industry from, you know, all sorts of sectors are going to come out and just basically express what you just expressed. How can we possibly do this? Um, So I think there is going to be a lot of pushback. We'll see if there's any modifications or changes that can be made. Not to mention, I think there are there is the potential for some uh, legal challenges. Just to answer your question, though, and you alluded to it again, is I, there is going to be a proliferation of climate technology accounting firms that kind of comes up because of this bill. So there are going to be, I think, a lot of companies are going to have to contract out to third parties, to to, to consultants, and there's just going to be a big boom of businesses that do this as a business that they track corporate emissions. Um, so yeah, man, I, I it's just, uh, that's just, it just boggles my mind. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about enforcement. Who enforces it? What agencies is it calorie, you know, air resources board is the attorney general's office. I mean, is what are the agencies of compliance? It's, it's the California air resources board, um, who is in charge of enforcement and with implementing the bill. Um, and the penalties are, up to $500,000 penalties for non-compliance. Um, there's penalties can't be higher than uh, $500,000 um, during the initial phase and period that lasts until 2030. Um, past that, they're going to reevaluate the laws and potentially um, add some new things. But that's what we know as of right now. California has this pernicious little law that we call the PAGA, uh, the Private Attorneys General Act. It seems to me... Uh, you know, does this does this law lend itself to individuals bringing lawsuits against companies for noncompliance or perceived noncompliance, and and under the the PAGA umbrella, is that is potential for that? You know, I haven't heard that, Joe, but I, I would think you know if it could be done, I think it can be done in California. That's where um, you know PAGA is a huge issue for a number of things, and I don't see why this would be any different, although. I'm trying to think in my head about what, how that could hold up in a in a court of law. Actually, let's let's scrap that. I didn't like that answer. <laughs> I right, will give another one. That's a great question, Joe. I myself have really don't know for sure. I haven't heard anything about that, but um, I think it's certainly a possibility um, once you get down the line. I mean, you know, someone's going to test going to test drive that for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just super super interesting. And one thing from a political sense, and I'm. You know, and everybody's doing their job and so forth. This has been out there. We've had this conversation. You, you said uh, it failed by one vote last year, uh, got through the process this year. I'm struck by how little 
of course we all know we, people in the we, we know about it right uh, yeah. because wow and stuff and you know but i'm surprised at how little relative little relative little uproar there was i mean it was not on the top of the agenda list for the big restaurant companies i mean they're yeah. paga reform in california they're fighting obviously the fast act and uh, you know other types of more yeah. core labor you know related industry related stuff i you know i didn't hear many peeps at all out of the restaurant and retail industry about this law. Was I yeah. missing something? Was I buried under a rock or something? No, no, not at all. I work very closely with a lot of retailers um, and, I, and I feel the same way. And I think uh, there's a couple things that maybe that it might be accounting for that. One of them is that companies are just less likely today in this day and age to come out strongly against, you know, a, an environmental type policy. You know, they it's not a great look. I think a lot of companies are worried about doing something something like that um, and taking a taking a strong public stance. And I think the general feeling is that you know this is this is what they do in Europe. And I think a lot of companies just sort of feel like this is the direction we're heading. It's inevitable. We might as well try to make this as workable as possible in the short term. But you know, as a company, we need to start looking at emissions. You know, tracking our own emissions the way we might even look at our financial statements. That's where the world is going. Um, and so I think that's just, I think it's just part of it. I think people are just kind of accepting their fate. That, that's, a, it's, that's a great point on the, on the European side. You know, it's, it'd be hard, and again, just making it up, it'd be hard for McDonald's to say, we can't do this if they're having to do this in 50 other countries, right? It's right. Like lose. right. Of course, that's what the banks do on interchange fees. They pretend they can't <laughs> do any of this stuff and, you know, they're doing it all over the world. So, uh, you know, who, who knows? So, Flip over to the federal process, the SEC's rulemaking. Obviously, SEC, publicly traded companies, blah, blah, blah. I, I know people are working on it. I know the trade associations are working on it. I know, you know, the National Restaurant Association is working on it and Rila is working on it. And yep. you know, I'm sure the HLA and all the rest are working on it. I just don't – I don't hear the the uproar. I don't hear the outrage like, you, you know, I, we're, we're talking about tip credit elimination in the restaurant industry and people are losing their minds. We're talking about fast acting in the restaurant industry and people are losing their mind. Here's like the most onerous, not only costly man hours, potential legal liability if you're wrong. seems to me this is one of the most serious things we faced. And I don't hear many people talking about it. Yeah, Joe, it is interesting. I think, you know, the fast act is so incredible that I think that really has taken a lot of some people's attention. <laughs> sucked, out the air out of, sucked out of the air out of the room. Yeah, yeah, potentially. And, you know, retailers worried about the fast act because that's a model that they can just kind of copy and paste and put onto all kinds of sectors. But that's a that's a podcast for another day. But, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, the 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 California rule is stronger than what we're expecting the SEC to propose. The, I think that SEC proposal um, is should be coming out sometime in the next couple weeks, next 30 days, I would think. Um, I know our folks at, at, in the RELA um, are kind of gearing up for that. So. I think if I were in Calif if I were doing business in California, I'd take my four billion dollar company and I would divide it into five eight hundred thousand dollar eight hundred million dollar subsidiaries to get out from underneath this law. Um, yeah, it, it's not a bad idea. Super, super. It's just it's just mind boggling the scope and the extent. And again, the compliance piece of it's one thing, but someone on the other is going to be receiving this compliance, right? Right. And and. I'm just thinking about the size of the agency. It's going to be like the Social Security Administration to process all this data from all these companies. Just kind of, um, it's really kind of mind-boggling. Uh, yeah. yeah. And 
another side of this, Joe, that we haven't talked about is that, you know, in my, in my mind, the, the California bill really does two specific things. The first is obviously the reporting requirements of your greenhouse gas emissions, scope one, two, and three. The second thing it does um, is that it requires companies to post, no, sorry, it doesn't require companies to do it. It requires companies to send that information to a, to the California state agency. And then the CARB is going to put um, all of the com- all of the company's emission data online to be publicly available. So, you know, there's, I don't, I hope this isn't out of turn, but I don't really see any real point to that outside of just shaming companies, right? So like, there's now reporters and the media and, and individual citizens will just have complete access to see, you know, how many, how much greenhouse gas emissions does this giant corporation produce? And then they can vilify that corporation, you know, so it's just, it, it's, that's going to be, I think, a problem for, for some of the larger players in, in this space. One other, one other aspect, Townsend, that's interesting is, you know, you have companies that have made significant carbon neutrality commitments, right? Um, yes. RBI's made them, McDonald's has made them, other companies have made them. And then here's two pieces of legislation, one at the, you know, reg at the federal level, and then a big piece of legislation in California that say, okay, prove it. Yep. You know, and it's, it's hard for you to come out and go, uh, just kidding. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't want to have to prove it. Um, yeah. I mean, you can talk about what data is being collected, how it's being collected, how it's being processed, how it's being publicly, you know, avail- available. That's, that's one thing. Um, but it's really hard to kind of conceptually go after the whole concept of legislation when you've made all these kinds of right. know, statements, you know, press around it and so forth. So, Super, super interesting. I would guess, A, to your point, Townsend, uh, we're going to have litigation up the kazoo. Uh, My guess is that the rulemaking process around this will be a fiasco and will take forever. Um, And as such, those deadlines will take a long time uh, to get to get in, you know, for this to actually take effect. So and then we have time for, you know, another cottage industry to spring up and be uh, compliance uh, resource for all these companies. But really, really fascinating. Townsend, last question. Do you see other states out there? Have you heard the, you know, the usual suspects, the Oregon's and the Washington thinking about doing this or, you know, the New York's of the world, or the Connecticut's? Yeah, it's it's funny you ask that. Um, New York actually just introduced the same exact bill, um, pre-filed it uh, earlier this week. So New York has the piece of legislation. They'll be working on it, you know, next year. So um, just New York so far, um, I would I would think it is possible that it's introduced in a couple other states, you know, the Washington, Massachusetts. Um, I could see it happening there. Um, You know, the thing about the California law is, though, there's like California is the fifth largest economy in the world. It it the the law. As soon as it goes into effect, it's 5000 companies that are now under, you know, have to comply with its rules. It kind of doesn't. It, it sounds crazy, but it kind of doesn't even really matter that if any other, like that a bunch of other states pass it, because all these companies, if you're a billion dollar company, odds are you do business in California, right? So, yeah. If you're doing it, you're doing it. Yeah, I guess. Right. But, but it's only the emissions you're using. It's only the emissions you're creating in California, right? I mean, no. California wants your data on what emissions you're creating in Kansas? Yes. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, I guess it doesn't matter what other it's state your, you're it's your total. It's your total emissions. Your, oh your company's total gracious. emissions. Well, yeah. I could have brought that up at the top of the interview. That, that's so ridiculous. 
that that my friend will well we've we've seen what's happening in the pork issues with interstate commerce and and where you know federal law and individual state law this thing's going to have some litigation up the kazoo for a long time so i didn't even i didn't realize that piece of it wow all right well uh Townsend, will you come back and walk us through um, the federal SEC process as that kind of gets going down the track a little bit? We've talked a number of times on this podcast about the, the, the SEC's process and where that is, but maybe in a couple of months we get more clarity around that. You come back on and get a smart. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Joe, just one final thing I'd say to the companies listening in on this. You know, I think a lot of billion-dollar companies already tracks at, on some level their scope one and two emissions. Um, you know, because like you said, a lot of these big companies have made promises, environmental promises, and, and greenhouse gas promises. So, if you do have some of that built-in infrastructure of tracking your own greenhouse gas emissions already kind of built in internally, that is going to be kind of a significant advantage, as opposed to a company that hasn't that's going to be brand new to. Um, so, you know, I would just I would just talk to companies and if, if you're not doing any sort of tracking right now, you know, it's time to maybe hire someone or move someone around internally, come up with a team and, and kind of get the ball rolling on that. So that's going to be really important. Good counsel, my friend. Good counsel. All right. Uh, on that note, I'm going to go jump out this window uh, next to me. Well, the noise is with this whole new set of knowledge points in my head. But uh, no, I appreciate I appreciate the help. Uh Towns, I appreciate the analysis, expertise, and uh, you taking the time to come by and talk to us. So, uh, thanks, thanks again. You're welcome. Happy to join again if you want. This was fun. I'll take you up on it. It's time for legislative scorecard, where we go around the country and update you on the latest legislative and regulatory developments. Mr. Cole, let's start with wages. California, uh, the governor signed that $25 minimum wage for healthcare workers. Yeah, $25 an hour minimum wage, not just the QSR sector. Um, this is the SEIU. Uh, this was a priority of the SEIU, and uh, that will be going into effect uh, in California. Speaking of California, uh, Mr. Cohen, the attorney general uh, is throwing a little bit of water on Gavin Newsom's triumphant bill signing of last week on the junk fees. We talked about junk fees and the hidden fees last week vis-a-vis the Federal Trade Commission. Well, Gavin Newsom signed the California version of the bill. None of the language of the bill includes any referencing restaurant uh, service charges. Attorney General said, hey, not so fast. Maybe maybe service charges are illegal under this legislation as well. What's going on there, man? What's going on is we're just getting swept into all this crap now. That's what's going on. You know, this, this story this narrative around restaurants and their service charges has gotten so much attention nationally that we're getting swept into with all these other, you know, I don't know if I'd call them bad actors, but questionable actors is probably a good way to say it. These questionable fees, they're they're just assuming that we're going to get swept in. And that's basically what the AG said. He said, yep, restaurant fees. Yeah, I think those are junk fees. We're, we're going to we're going to sweep those in there. That, that counts here. If it's not, quote, it's got to be included in the, uh, quote, advertising, displaying, or offering of a price for a good or service. It does not include all mandatory fees or charges uh, other than government taxes and fees. So basically, they're saying that these restaurant fees will get swept in. Switching to Michigan, uh, Franklin, the uh, State Bureau of Elections approved 
those signatures for the ballot initiative to go to the ballot in 2024, many of which were hangovers from the 2022 process uh, that were submitted after the fact, submitted too late, but the state accepted them for this go around. Does that sound legitimate to you? Well, we'll we'll see. They'll be they'll be challenged almost certainly. But um, this proposal uh, aims it'll increase this the minimum wage fifteen dollars an hour by twenty twenty seven index it going forward, and it will phase out uh, the tipped wage in the state. So there's going to be legal challenges on this. The legislature probably will want to be heard as part of this process as well. So this is going to be something that we're going to continue to report on in Michigan for some time. And we've got a couple of uh, uh, jurisdictions, state of South Dakota and the city of Seattle, where their respective employment offices set a new minimum wage for the upcoming year. Uh, South Dakota, we're going to uh, $11.20 an hour, $11 an hour in South Dakota. And uh, yeah, we, you know, we report these out regularly kind of jump up. And then in Seattle, I feel like we reported this last week. We reported a bunch of Washington area municipalities. Washington State, yeah. Washington yeah, State and then a couple Seattle of cities, but Seattle's not. doing it too. But yeah, there was SeaTac and then there was another little uh, community outside city of Seattle and, and some others. But they're all um, getting up around that $20 an hour mark. Seattle is nineteen ninety seven now. So you know, we're getting a lot of jurisdictions um, up in that neck of the woods, up closer to twenty dollars an hour. Franklin, uh, pop quiz: uh, What does the Middle East situation have to do with Starbucks and their union problems? Well, um, the Starbucks union posted a pro-Palestinian uh, post on their social media handles, and then they took it down, but. There was concerns that many perceived it to be Starbucks Corporation posting in support of Palestinians. In fact, Senator Rick Scott, I think it was, fired off a letter or, or a, a post to Starbucks Corporate over their support of Palestinians. And so Starbucks is suing the union. And I think the union may be countersuing or something, but anyway, there's going to be a lot of wrangling over misuse, potential misuse of the Starbucks uh, trademark relative to this. So, oh man, it's uh, this will this will be interesting. You know, this this is not uncommon in union campaigns where they will rip a company's you know kind of trademark logo and tweak it a little bit, um, you know, to to poke fun or you know part of their their corporate campaign and Starbucks is pushing back on it in this case. Um, and we'll see how this plays out, Joe. I continue to be amazed on the, on the, the intensity of the Starbucks versus Starbucks workers United fracas. I mean, talk about sitting here three years ago and what I, what I think we'd still be in this level of just vitriol, you know, climbing into the octagon every day in every courtroom and every jurisdiction. It's amazing. Uh, it, it, uh, I bet Starbucks just wants to get through this process and just get back to charging people 10 bucks for 10 cents worth of coffee, like the good old days. Uh, just amazed. I really am, am amazed at, at just the continues day in and day out, just the, the war. Uh, it's just super, super interesting. And I would have thought three years ago, it still had this kind of temperature level on it. Franklin, 
We use the term unprecedented a lot. Unprecedented. California Fast Act was unprecedented. What happened in Chicago? Unprecedented. We're going to use it again this week. It's amazing that the Federal Reserve is getting into the interchange fee fracas between retailers and the big banks. What is going on? Well, finally a junk fee uh, that, that we can get behind getting rid of or, or messing with. Um, I didn't even know this was a thing. I didn't even know this was possible or doable or, you know. So Nor the, Federal, the Federal Reserve announced that it would hold a meeting next week to vote in a proposed change to lower the cap on debit card interchange fees. So they're going to start taking public comments. They're going to review those public comments. They may pass a rule that lowers the interchange fee. Right now, it sits at 21 cents or 0.05% of the transaction amount. And that was a level set by the Fed in 2011. Um, and apparently it can lower the cap if it determined the cost for processing debit card payments are declining. So, you know, you know we've been doing all this stuff through Congress running our head against the wall and, uh, and swipe fees. And here is a federal agency that could just wave its wand apparently and, uh, and lower the fee. So Unreal. pretty interesting. Obviously the, uh, the banks are going to uh, go to weigh in on this and litigate and all yeah. that. But um, I didn't even know this was an option on the table. So it, it will be interesting to see how this kind of plays out. This totally lines up with, what we've seen out of the Biden administration, the FTC and all this other own these kind of junk fees. And, you know, it's it it fits thematically into that same jihad that, you know, the Biden administration thinks is good politics for them and, and probably is great politics. So I, I think we've got a pretty good chance here to get a get a decent outcome. Yeah, I just it's going to be super interesting to watch what happens at a hearing next week. And uh, yeah, I, you know, just this this one caught me kind of flat footed. I didn't realize the Federal Reserve could do that uh, unilaterally, and maybe it can't. And to your point, we're going to probably see a good bit of litigation to see whether they have that authority or not. So uh, never a dull moment uh, in Washington D.C. Well, that's our scorecard for you this week, and we will have another one for you next week. Well, another week, another pod. Franklin, one of the joys of our job, I don't know how you and I as policy dorks and policy geeks and policy nerds found our way to policy type jobs, but uh, I'm at a, I'm at like the, the, the mountaintop of policy here in Nashville this week at the National Governors Association's kind of senior chief of staff, senior staff retreat uh, here in great t- state of Tennessee, home of the former Senator Estes Kefauver, I might add. Franklin, um, NGAs, we're talking, we're here talking about true age and age verification and working on ways that retailers and restaurants, part of that too, uh, can, can make sure that they are, they have the latest ID technology to protect young people from getting things that young people shouldn't get. Frank, when was the last time you were at an NGA event? It's been a while. I hadn't been to Nashville in a while either. I don't. I, I don't think I've been there since for a conference since uh, before the pandemic. So yeah, that, that'll be a good one. Yeah, it should be should be pretty interesting. We're, we've got a couple of beta beta tests uh, with a couple of different states. 
you know, because you got to share that that data. You got to get into the the, um, the the drivers, you know, Department of Motor Vehicle databases. And so we got a couple states that we're doing some beta tests that are uh, uh, going that are going very well, and uh, hopefully come out of this meeting with a couple more. So uh, should be should be interesting. And uh, I may, Franklin, I don't know. I may see a live band while I'm here. What do you think the odds are? I hope they check your verification to make sure you're of age, Joe, before you hit that bar. I'm not much of a country music guy, but I'm a, I love live music. So I have to figure out, I have to, I have to thread the needle and find just the right place to just kind of slink down low in a chair and put a hat on my head and kind of not be seen and just kind of take it all in. So looking forward to that. And on that note, we will talk to you next week. Until then, stay safe, stay informed. We'll talk to you then. Mm-hmm.